0: Well, we are in the wilderness, the Hebrew term for the book of Numbers. They were the ancient Israelites, but we are. We are um, free from the past bondage to sin, and we know that the one who delivered us has for us better land of our own. We call it heaven. A place of promise so uh, the past is uh, something we wish to leave behind and the future is where our hope is and in between we're in a wilderness journey and at various times it is intensely trying and difficult and painful for our fellow travelers there's just much that has to take place before we're ready uh, for better land, for our land of promise. Lots of pruning, uh, lots of discipling, lots of maturing, lots of growing. And so that's our present situation. And so if from time to time you hurt, it's because you're rather unsettled. You're not where you used to be. You're not yet where you're meant to be. You're in the wilderness. You're on a journey. And so by definition, there's a measure of unsettledness. I only say that because I don't want you to feel excluded from the pack. No, those of us who are following the leader, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, are all on the same wilderness journey. But here's the thing uh, I have observed. And tell me if you think this is accurate. In the course of our wilderness journey... We have three options. Two are quite natural, and only one is supernaturally produced. Here are the three options. One, in the course of our wilderness journey, we can simply tire of it and decide we no longer want to follow the leader, the Lord Jesus, but instead we want to flee back to the old lifestyle, to the old ways. That is a very natural inclination. We even write classic songs about it, prone to wander. And that's something we don't have to be taught. That's something we come with. It's an inherent, innate human kind of tendency particularly when it gets to be a little fearful in the wilderness journey. When God has led us into something we cannot comprehend nor understand. It might be an illness. It might be the loss of one we're very close to. It might be a layoff, a financial downturn. In other words, it might be the things so many here are even as I speak, experiencing. So when it gets to be those times, sometimes the temptation to play into our human inclination, that is to flee back, really, really rises to the fore. So that's one option for those of us traveling in the wilderness. The second option, equally as natural, is not to flee back so as to get away from God, is to fly ahead of him. It's to run on ahead of him. It's to pass him by, so to speak. It's to determine what's best for us. And without any deference to him, no consultation, no submission, well, no yieldedness nor obedience, we've determined sometimes a course of action to get us out of the present and way ahead, past it, past God, and into a place we think will better meet our needs. And so that's a very natural inclination as well. To flee to the past, to fly ahead of God into the future. And then here's the third inclination, but this one doesn't come naturally. So if you're struggling with this one, welcome to the crowd. This is the inclination to simply, with trust and patience, follow God in the wilderness until he brings us to our place of promise. So you have three words beginning with the same letter. You can flee back, you can fly ahead, or you can follow Almighty God. I want to ask you a rhetorical question. You do not have to answer this out loud. Which of those uh, most characterizes your life as we sit in each other's company today? Right now, which one do you find yourself with a uh, tendency to flee back to the old ways? Or do you find yourself with a tendency to fly ahead of God because waiting on Him to get you through whatever it is you want to be through is just so taxing? Or are you in a place where by His grace and in answer to your petition, you find maybe for the first time in your life you are trusted Fully and patiently following God. You don't understand all things. He's incomprehensible. You can't answer the why question to what ails you all the time. You can't answer the how long question, how long before this is lifted. And yet, in spite of those unanswerables, still something in you has persuaded you the wisest, most rational, best course of action in the wilderness is simply to follow Almighty God through thick and through thin. Of course, that's the desirable response, but oftentimes it doesn't characterize even God's people. I want to graphically demonstrate that to you in the text before us tonight. It's Numbers chapter 14. And I'll select out of it, uh, for highlight purposes, just some of the verses in it. It's a very lengthy chapter. Numbers chapter 14. Uh, I, I want you to see in Israel whom God freed, redeemed, and chose a little bit of ourselves. You see, Because you'll see in Israel the same three tendencies, two natural, only one, supernatural. And by the way, that's why the record of Israel is in here because Israel teaches us about human nature and uh, we have the same human nature as they did. So here we go. Uh, Numbers 14, verse 1. Uh, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. That would be a good thing if they lifted up their voices and cried to God, but they did not. They cried about the circumstances God had led them to. Uh, They were intensely rebelling against God. They were in a state of national panic. It was like your entire congregational panic disorder. Everyone was in a tizzy, and I'll tell you why. They had just received word from their leaders that the land of promise was inhabited by big guys, and they felt like little guys. No, they didn't feel like little guys. They felt like little land insects. Remember, we read about it. What insect was it? Yeah, grasshoppers. That's what. And they said we can't take the land. They have walled cities. Everyone is like a giant-sized challenge. So yeah. Everything, we know it's good. Thank you, God, but no thank you. What good is a good land that we can't get into because they're bad giants in the land? So the only alternative is to go nuts, and that's what they're doing. By the way, the Hebrew words essentially indicate that. They are out of control. The Hebrew words express intense lament. They are absolutely out of control. They're in panic, and they do this. They don't know what to do. They can't go forward, though God wants them. God wants all his people to go forward. But anyway, they can't. There's obstacles, opposition in the land. So they're filled with fear because going forward seems so impossible in light of what their eyes and ears have told them. To be true. And so, because they filled up their eyes and ears uh, with what they saw and heard, uh, they lost sight of two characteristics of God his greatness and his goodness. And that happens to God's people in the wilderness when there are obstacles in life and we can't see our way through it. We lose, we get so filled up, all of us, it's just a normal human tendency. We get so filled up with the reality of things here, we lose sight of the real reality, the God behind the scenes, and we absolutely get distracted from his greatness and from his goodness. And we, in essence, do the same thing. We go into panic mode. And so that's essentially what happened here And so they turned away from God. And one of the indicators uh, of what happens when someone turns away from God is that they turn away from God's duly appointed leaders as well. So that's what happened in verse 2. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this... We just want to... die." It's national suicidal behavior. Good night. We just want to die. We could have died there. We could die here. We don't want to die there. That's what they're doing. Why? Here's the why question. Verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? They're, They're blaming. God has promised them. He's distinguished them from amongst all people groups on earth. He has made himself their God, they his people. He's promised them a land filled with milk and honey. And they, they're blaming him for all that the Lord is bringing us. Why is he bringing us into this land? And here's God's motive, to fall by the sword. You ever get so irrational because you're in so much pain? Let me answer for you. Yes, you have. You know, we're not reading a bunch about a bunch of peculiar people. We're reading about us. That's why they're in there. They're a mirror. That's all Israel is. It's just a mirror. Look in the mirror. You run into certain of life's circumstances. We lose sight of the greatness and the goodness of God. We look to overwhelming life situation, giants, which make us in comparison look and feel like grasshoppers, and we start to impugn the motives, the very motives of the one who suffered and died for us. Why are you doing this? Why don't you just let us die elsewhere? And here's what they say. Our wives and our little ones are going to become plunder. (gasps) As if God has no heart for children (laughs) and women. They're going to become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt. And so, folks, now we get a little insight why we're prone to natural inclination, number one, and that is to flee back into the old ways. I'll tell you why. There's something about human nature. Uh, We would rather opt for the old and familiar, even though it stinks, than for the new and unfamiliar, even though God says it's better. Because we can't relate to the new and unfamiliar. We just know the old stuff. And can I tell you what the old stuff is? Two things. Self-indulgence and self-dependence. That's the old bondage. See, that's our bondage. Not Pharaoh. Our bondage is self-dependence. i got to take care of myself because no one else cares. That's enslavement. You used to be there. I used to be there. And then we found out it's a lie. We have a God who wants to take care of us. In fact, to prove it, he did not withhold his most precious only begotten son. And therefore, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? We have found out we could look to him for daily bread uh, with regard to all of our needs. and, And when we run into some tough times, you, me, all of us, Ancient Israel, that's just the way it is. It's human nature. We will gravitate toward the old and familiar, which is self-dependence. I've got to take care of myself. And self-indulgence. Here's what happens. You're in the wilderness journey, and you run into a painful life situation, and nobody here likes pain. We're all the same. I don't know if you knew this. Nobody here likes pain. Everybody here likes pleasure. So when you run into pain, you drift back to the old ways of pleasure-seeking. That's called self-indulgence. You see? Self-dependence and self-indulgence. That's the cruel taskmaster from which we have been set free. But we would rather gravitate back to it than say, Oh God, I'm dying, I'm aching, I'm miserable, I can't hardly function. I surely could bring, I think, more glory to your name if I was healthy and well and feeling better. On the other hand, even in this state, raggedy and... Out of sorts as I am, I'm still your kid, and I'm hanging on, and I'm not going back. I'm going to follow you, and I just have to believe you're up to something good even through this. And I'm not going to take care of business through self-dependence and self-indulgence. And the reason I'm not going to do it is, oh, God, I remember what that was like. There's no such thing as the good old days. No such thing. So anyway, that's one of the responses, and Israel is into it here, you see. Fleeing back. So verse 4, they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Well, they had a leader, right? Moses. But the people say, let's appoint. Why do they want another leader? Because they knew the one they had in no wise is going to bring them back. <laughs> oh, no. The leader they have is going to set the pace. In moving them forward. By the way, that's the kind of leader, you know. You 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 want to. You don't want a leader who says who, who's going to cooperate with compromise. (laughs) You don't want a leader who's going to say, oh, you you know, fine, a little bit of the old ways now and then spice up your life. No, no, no. Moses would not take them back there, and so they decide we need we need another leader. And so, verse five, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. Wow. Not very proper or dignified. Not very liturgical. Oh, my goodness. They fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of it. You know what they're doing? They're praying. They could easily have prayed to God privately, but they needed to pray publicly, and they needed this demonstrative, visible posture. Why? Why? They had to show people what dependence on Almighty God looked like because the people had lost sight of what it is to depend on Almighty God. So they fell, the leaders took the lead, fell down. In crying out, not against the people, but to Almighty God. In full view and hearing of everyone in the hope that it would be contagious. And that they too would fall down. And pray, oh God, help us. So that's what they did. So then in verse 6, Joshua. We hadn't heard much about him till now. He's a good guy. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, another good guy. Son of, however you pronounce that name, of those who had spied out the land. Remember, there were 12 spies who went to the land, and two of them came back with the minority report, these two guys, Joshua and Caleb. The minority report said, yeah, 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 there's a lot of challenges in the land, but, but God already promised to give it to us. So that was their report. Well, what they do is they tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation and they said the land which we pass through is an exceedingly good land. So they tried to reason with the people and speak into their into their lives. You want to know something? Um, Sometimes your best friend is not the guy who's telling you what you want to hear. Sometimes your best friend is the guy or gal who's telling you what you need to hear. I'll tell you what someone who is not your best friend does here. Someone says, sure, we can understand this wilderness thing. You know, it's kind of a drag. It gets old. They had cucumbers and all kinds of fish and lots of good food in Egypt. You deserve a break today. Absolutely. We're with you. Just feel good about yourself. If it feels good, do it you deserve it. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Yeah, you can do it. I'll help you pack. That's not a good friend. A good friend is Joshua and Caleb who's saying, don't go back. You're only thinking of cucumbers and leeks and fish and all the rest. You have forgotten whips. You have forgotten enslavement and bondage. You have forgotten addiction. You have forgotten strongholds. You have forgotten patterns of behavior you could not shake. You have forgotten loneliness and desperation. You have forgotten guilt and shame. You have forgotten what it's like to be an adversary of God instead of a child. Do not go back there. The old ways will give you only temporary gratification. They will not meet your needs do not worship a false god you did before could your gods meet your needs they couldn't the one god the living god met your need go forward trust him now that's a true friend that's a true friend don't do that do this faithful are the wounds of a friend but I got to tell you if you're that kind of a friend for someone you need to know Saying the right thing does not always beget the right response. Want to check it out? Verse 10, but all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Wow, that could ruin your day. You just need to know. Saying the right thing does not always beget the right response. Well, then what happened is God intervened and made a very attractive offer to Moses in verse 12. He said, I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I'll make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. Wow. (laughs) That is an offer you would think Moses could not refuse. And yet he does. Verse 12, excuse me, 13. But Moses said to the Lord, then if you do this, if you wipe them out, start a new people group with me. If you replace them, your people with whom you entered into covenant, to whom you made promises of this land and many other things, if you get rid of them because they have turned against you, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For by your strength you brought up this people from their midst. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye, while your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night. Now if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your name will say, because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath, therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness." I can't tell you how penetratingly deep that is. I wish I had uh, like several hours to talk to you about this. Do you have some time? Oh, wow, wow. It's up for a vote. It's up for a vote. Folks, here's the deal. the number one reason why present-day Israel Is in the land is because of the character of God who promised it now listen to me the number one reason why you're gonna make it to your land of promise is because of the character of your God who promised it if you jump on the theological bandwagon and it's coming already opting for a point of view called replacement theology. It's just what God offered Moses. I'll replace them. Moses said, no, if you do so, it'll detract. Forget about them. It'll detract from your character. The people of the land will say, God could not fulfill his promises. If you opt for replacement theology, God has rejected the Jews and Israel has no right for its land today, then you have no basis for the assurance of your own salvation. You're cutting your own throat, kids. Why doesn't God replace you? What, are you so hot? The next time you have a bad day, you can forget your eternal security. Can you see what's at stake here? I have to tell you, Do you know John Piper? He's great. He's one, talk about a writer. Oh, my goodness. He is a lover of almighty God. He's a brother. A great communicator in writing and spoken word. He is a man of God who is off base in this area. Why do I mention his name? Because he's coming out with a proliferation of articles essentially saying, you people have to stop supporting Israel's right to the land. They have no right to the land, for they have rejected their Messiah. He's right about part of it. They have rejected their Messiah. He's wrong about the conclusion. The Messiah has not rejected them. Don't you get it? Could you please tell me on what basis you stand secure in Christ? What did you do to contribute to your salvation? But isn't sin a factor? Yeah. Sin could detract from the full enjoyment of your salvation. But by sin, you can never forfeit it. And Israel is in there simply to show us human nature. It's not a pretty picture. And divine nature, it's characterized by amazing grace. Now, God wasn't about to wipe out the people. He was testing his leader. And Moses gave the right answer. Oh, God, if you do not fulfill your promises to those people and bring them into the land, then the world's nations will have no reason to believe your word. When you, came to, to, when you said, I've come to save you, why should they believe you if you can't bring these people? Are, are, is the sin of this people, is it greater than your capacity to bring them into the land. I must tell you something. Based on what happened on May 14th, 1948, the reconstitution of the modern state of Israel, you can go to the bank on this. God keeps his word they're in the land. They didn't get there because of any good thing in them. They didn't get there because of any virtue. They got there because God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? And has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Divine right? I guess John Piper is right. They don't have a divine right to the land any more than you have a divine right to your promised land. It's grace, grace, God's grace. I think a guy like Piper doesn't understand because he's surely not intending to do this. He is a great guy. But even great guys can miss the point. I know he's not intending to do this, but he is detracting from the very character of God. He's saying that God's promises and his grace are very much contingent on your behavior and mine. But I read the Bible that says, though we be unfaithful, he remains faithful. It's a big, big difference. Big, big difference. So, folks, Moses gives the best argument against present-day replacement theology. He says, if you replace them, people will have no confidence in your word. So therefore, he says, verse 19, pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness. It doesn't say according to their good hearts, (laughs) according to their zeal and passion. It says according to your loving kindness. It's the Hebrew word chesed, chesed. It's an unusual word. It's like marital love, chesed. It's the love between parties in a covenant. It's chesed. Moses makes his appeal not on the basis of Israel's virtue. There is none. But on the basis of God's chesed love. Oh, God. You entered into a covenant with them on that basis. Oh, God. Would you pardon them? God entered into a covenant with you and me. It's called the new covenant. It's far better than this. Far better. And folks... The next time you have an off day and you choose to sin, you must take some solace from this, and you must know, confess, repent, and accept God's pardon, because you have Moses as a meet. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. You don't have Moses as a mediator. Oh, I'm so sorry. See, Moses was the mediator for these people, right? He stood in the gap. He said pardon the iniquity of this people just as you have also forgiven them from Egypt until you see oh man it would be so cool ah Moses is gone right it would be so great to have a mediator like that oh we do 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 for there is one god do you buy that yeah And one mediator also. Now far fewer people by that. A lot of people who say there's one God do not accept the fact that there's one mediator. Between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. We have that mediator. Don't you see what this is all about? I mean, you dump Israel, which many theologians and politicians are trying to do today, And you extract from the mix a great source of information about you and God. That's why they're in there. They're there to show us human nature and God's gracious divine response to human nature. Remove them from the mix. You're on your own, kids. Well, anyway, how are we doing here? I'm getting carried away. But my servant, verse 24, but my servant Caleb, he has a different spirit. He followed me. That's the third option. It's a minority perspective. Be in the minority. <laughs> the majority rules, but often is not right. <laughs> the majority wanted to engage in fleeing backward, but Caleb had a different spirit. He wanted to follow the Lord. Fully. Verse 25, God said there are different people, Amalekites, Canaanite. They live in the valleys, turn, set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Here's what a gracious God said. They're so close now to the promised land, but they can't enter in. They're not fit for it. They don't have enough faith to deal with the obstacles in the land. So God says you'll get there, but now because of your faithlessness, it's going to be by a circuitous route. It's going to be the long way around. Do not, says God, go up to face these people now because you are not up for it. And then God says, though I forgive your sin, I'm summarizing here, uh, uh, there's consequence for it. And here's the consequence. All of the adults over 20 years old won't make it. They're going to die in the wilderness The next generation of their children will, but this only after all of you wander around for 40 years in the wilderness. And when the people hear this, take a look, verse 39, when Moses spoke these words, the people mourned greatly. In the morning, however, they rose up. They went up to the ridge of the hill country saying, here we are. We've indeed sinned, but we're going to go up to the place which the Lord has promised. But wait a second, God told them not to. (laughs) Human nature. First you have uh, the people fleeing back away from God. Now you have them flying ahead of God, you see. (laughs) He said... You can't go up to face these people now. Don't go that way. They think they can make up for the first sin by compounding it with the second. The first sin is lack of trust in God. The second is the sin of presumption. That's where you just decide on a course of action that you think is best for you, even if it's contrary to the will of God. That's when you live with someone who you shouldn't live with. That's when you marry someone you shouldn't marry. That's when you divorce someone you shouldn't divorce. That's when you drink something you shouldn't drink. That's when you shoot up something. That's the sin of presumption. You understand what I'm saying? So if one response is to flee back, the other is to fly forward, and they're doing exactly The same thing. What about you? What about me? Wonder what the consequence is? Verse 45. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. Is that God's punishment? No. That's the natural consequence of not following the leader. Right there. That's just the natural consequence. Folks, what's it going to be? A long time ago when I was a new wanderer, a new follower of the leader, we used to sing a song, the chorus of which is trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust See, See, if you trust, you don't flee back to the old ways. You trust God. And if you obey, you don't fly ahead of God, seeking to meet your own needs in ways that are blatantly outside of his will. I'm encouraged by this text to pray. Oh God, put it in me. Not to live in accordance with my natural inclinations, but in light of your very Spirit, who now inhabits me as if I'm an actual temple of your Spirit. In the power of your Holy Spirit in me. Would you give me a new inclination? It's an inclination to follow you. Not to go back, not to charge on ahead, but just to follow. Even though I don't understand where you're leading and what's going on, would you put it within me to trust you? Oh, God, keep me from forgetfulness. Can I forget how you saved me and what it cost? Can I so easily forget how you have been my supply, O oh sovereign one, through all these years? Oh, God, can I forget how you've been my rock and my redeemer through ups and downs and thick and thin? Oh, God, can I forget how you've brought me this far when through many, many times I didn't know how I would get by, get out, get up? Oh, God, have you disappointed me so that I have reason to go back to the false gods, so that I have reason to fly ahead of you and do things my way? Oh God, would you put me in remembrance of your greatness and of your goodness? John Mark, let us. We will remember, remember, remember the greatness and the goodness of God, which provides for you and me the very rational basis for following the leader, trusting him to take care of us, letting him set the pace. No retreat, no retreat for a follower of the leader. No charging on ahead as if the leader could be supplanted, trusting and obeying. Sing the chorus with me as if it's an attitude of petition, as if you're asking God to produce those qualities in you. Sing Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in but to trust and Obey Lord Jesus. It is our heart's desire to follow you. You've given us no reason not. We are unreasonable people, like foolish sheep going our own way, like foolish Israel with great privilege and squandering it in the desert, prolonging the journey into the place of blessing because we choose to do things our way. Thank you for the record of Israel. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. What's right is what you have expressed to us to be right. O oh God, in this day of watered-down Christianity and theological drift and unsettledness, would you help us to, Lord Jesus, recommit ourselves to your ways, your guidelines. You who redeemed us, you who came to suffer and die for us, how will you not also with your very life freely give us all things? Oh, God, keep us from fleeing back, flying ahead. Make us to be true followers of you, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.